34, starting in verse 1, um, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look on him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The lyrics of our next song say, 
He is worthy of our praise, here to fill our hungry souls, taste and see. So just like Paul tells the church to sing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we do that now to encourage each other to taste and see that the Lord is good. Surround us with it. 
Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. I invite you to turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 1 through 10. And we'll remain standing together out of honor for the Lord and His perfect word. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. You may be seated. And in a moment, we're going to to go to the Lord in prayer. As we do, I want to invite up Brandon Green and Jacob Bereskin. You guys can come on up. And Brandon and Jacob, along with Leslie Warren, are going to be serving as our summer interns this year. So we are really excited to have these guys, along with Leslie, uh, with us for the summer. Leslie's going to be here this week. She's traveling back uh, from a family trip today and tomorrow. But uh, Jacob goes to Concordia, Irvine, and his family's been with us for some time now at Grace. Brandon is at the Masters University, and he uh, is from Orange County, so he's here with us when he's home. We are super excited to have them and Leslie with us for the summer. If you don't know them, can people introduce themselves to you this morning? They're good with it. Okay, so you have permission. You can shake their hand or give them a hug if it seems appropriate, Uh, but we're very excited to have these two, so let's pray together, and we'll pray for them in our morning. Father, we're so thankful for your grace towards us. Thank you for the life that we have in Christ as your people. All of our hope rests in the one who was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one who has borne our sins in his body on the tree. Lord Jesus is our only hope. And so this morning as we sing together and as we pray and as we hear your word, we ask that you would realign our hearts with that reality, that apart from, uh, apart from Christ, his death and resurrection, there is no hope. We would still be dead in our sins like this passage was just talking about, but in Christ, everybody who has believed has been made alive. And so, Lord, we thank you 
We also know that there's a difference between knowing and, and tasting and seeing, like this song was just saying. And so we ask this morning that you would help us and enable us by your spirit to taste and see and, and really grab onto these realities to know the height and breadth and length and depth of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. We pray that it would, uh, that your word would have its effect in us this morning to that end, and that we would be people who are amazed by your love for us in Jesus, and in response, love him and give our lives to him. Lord, we also thank you for the young people at Grace who are uh, being raised up to walk with you and know you and follow you, and especially we, we want to thank you today for Jacob and for Brandon and for Leslie who will be joining us this summer. We, uh, we thank you for your provision of them, and we pray your blessing on their service with us this summer. As they are involved in a variety of ministries, uh, we ask that you would allow the summer to be useful to develop and deepen their discipleship, that they would be growing in maturity and growing in their love for the church. We pray that you would help us as a church body to support them and nourish them and encourage them as they're with us, and we're just very thankful for them. We pray that you would uh, give favor uh, to what they do this summer and allow their work to be useful here uh, among us for eternal purposes. Father, we thank you for this morning. We know that no good comes apart from you, and we can only grow insofar as we're connected to Christ, uh, the vine. And so we pray that that would happen this morning. We ask for the work of your spirit, and it's all in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. stand for this last song before the sermon as we sing thank you God for saving me sing what can I give what can I give to you what can I offer to a king for all the love you show for all your mercy
Jesus in victory you rose, you made us all your own, now we are saved. You gave your life upon the cross, you suffered once for all, you made a way. Jesus in victory you rose, you made us all your own, now we are saved. salvation that we declare and celebrate and we're about to hear about through the preaching of your word. Um, we did not bring it about. We did not manufacture it. We did not create our own holiness or righteousness or nearness to you. The only thing we manufacture on our own is idols. Lord, just like you did through many kings of Judah, um, destroy our idols, tear down tear down our high places so that we can see you and worship you and, and love you and obey you. And we pray that that would happen more even now through the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's the Christian life summed up in one phrase. We are saved by God's sovereign work for good works, for God's glory. Christians are called to good works. Those good works flow from a renewed heart, uh, the result of God rescuing us from bondage to sin by Christ's substitutionary sacrifice. All by grace. All by God's amazing grace. And most Christians I know deeply desire to please Jesus. Most Christians I know want to please Jesus and do the work that God saved them for. Sometimes, though, you, you get stuck. You get stuck in patterns of living that obscure your desire for good. And sometimes your truly good works are called bad. To hear some tell it, Christians are the last people that can talk about good works. Today, daily, we are being told as we live in the world, but not of it, as we're doing good works, As Jesus said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see your life transformed by the gospel. See you loving truth. 
through loving the truth so I have to be saved and lovingly giving the truth to a needy world and, and wanting to engage the world in good deeds to meet pressing needs, you are being told that your deeds are bad. That in many people's opinions, we believers do all the bad works. We want babies in the womb to live. We don't accept every lifestyle as normal. We say marriage is between one man and one woman, and a man is a man and a woman is a woman. Next week on Father's Day, we'll talk about what does it mean to be a man. We reject the transgender agenda as deceptive insanity. We reject gossip and greed and gluttony and slander and retaliation and hatred. We promote joy and peace and forgiveness and love and kindness and humility. We believe the Bible is true. We believe it is binding upon our conscience. We believe that only Jesus saves. We believe he is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. That he is the only way of salvation. We know that it isn't anything goes. We know that for humans to thrive, we must be in right relationship with God and one another under God's authority in his word. But to hear some tell it, we perpetrate all the evils. We suppress the truth, tell lies, hold people back, oppress people groups, uh, we're hateful, we're unaccepting, we don't do justice, and on and on it goes. The message is, if we would just get out of the way, if Christians would stop blocking the door, everyone could be happy. Jesus said this, Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when others revile you, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And today, and it's not on the other end of the world, but it is right here, we're marginalized and persecuted and shouted down in the public square. And I think I know why. So that the salt should taste quite salty and the light be utterly blinding. The gospel is as strong as ever. God is still using ordinary folks with an extraordinary message of Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The gospel of God's grace in Christ. And the intensely pressing question that must be answered if we are to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs and not be unfruitful is this. Will we, as a church and as believers, persist doing good works when we are being told our works are bad. And just in the nick of time, Ephesians 2.10 to the rescue. A picture of good works driven by glorious grace. What those who know the heart of it desire and do. Last week we were in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. One of the most famous passages in the Bible tells believers, tells Christians, we're saved by God's works for good works. And, and we see that we need to understand our, our justification if we're going to understand our sanctification. If you get your justification wrong, you will give like wacky ideas about sanctification. That our justification is the, the source is God. Its basis is grace. It's obtained as a gift by means of faith. It's not something you already have in you. It's not something you gain by your own efforts. You can never boast of any self-work. You must boast in the greatness of God. And Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 just depicts the essence of the gospel. 
grace from start to finish. It's, it spells out the salvation that has been so clearly explained from chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 7. And now in summary form, we're told you're saved by God's grace, God's grace through faith. That Jesus died for his enemies. That salvation is monergistic. It is the work of one. It is regeneration and justification of the elect by God. That you are saved by God's gift, not your works. And that all of salvation is a gift from God. Nothing we can do. Nothing we can earn. No boasting in self. Only praising God. Only praising the glories of God's grace. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, We are not reborn because we believe. We believe because we are reborn. You look at verse 10 here, and we're going to focus on it more intently today. We are not saved because we do good works. We do good works because we are saved. If you're a Christian today, you are made for good works in Christ. Saved for good works for God's glory. Your life becomes a display of God's glorious grace. And by the way, I get to watch that every week. I get to watch that every day with you. Your lives on display, a display of God's glorious grace. And what you see in this verse, this is one verse, is that God's glorious grace drives our good works. That's what you see. His glorious grace drives our good works. And, and again, verse 10 is the Christian life summed up in one phrase. And when you look at this verse, just you look at it where it stands in the context, in the context of this chapter and this book and the entire book, and what you see is that this verse 10 just yields up some beautiful, beautiful gospel truths. It yields five gospel truths that reflect God's glorious grace. We'll, we'll just go phrase by phrase as we go through this verse. First gospel truth that you see here, God saved us. God saves sinners solely by himself. No, no help from us. We are his workmanship. That, what that means, what that tells you is you got saved by God, not you. He, you're the creative work of God. It's handiwork. That, that word can refer to a work of art or a statue or a song or architecture, or a painting, but especially a poem. The Greek word is poema. We get our word poem from it. That we are, literally the, the elect collectively, are the product of God's creative work. We're miraculously remade by God. It's not human origin here. It's not human works. God is, if you will, the craftsman who made us. That we are his deed. That we are his work. His work of art, if you will. God's new creation, the handiwork of God, the, the recreation of God in each believer's life even. We are, we are the crafted work of God. You, you go somewhere, you go to like a fair, and you see craftsmen working on things. Well, God crafted us, and, and we are his master work. And that's different than our works because of God's work. As 1 Corinthians 1 tells us, by his doing you are in Christ Jesus. Not by your doing, his doing. And John 15, Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain, that it would abide, it would last forever. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, monergistic salvation, the work of one sovereign. We are his workmanship. We, we originate from God. Not from human effort. We, we're God's work. The God saved us. We are his workmanship. 
We're made alive, taken from death to life. It restores his original intent, bringing the elect to himself, as Jesus said in John 6. No man can come to me unless the Father who has sent me will draw him, and I shall raise him up in the last day. So God saved us. God saved sinners solely by himself. And secondly, we see the, second, the next phrase, we are his new creation. He, he makes believers his new creation in Christ. We were created in Christ Jesus. God's new creation in Christ. Created in Christ Jesus. The emphasis is on God's creation, God's new creation. It's a passive participle. It indicates the believer is the recipient of the action. God's the cause. We're the recipients. This is why God's workmanship is different than human works. Because believers are a new creation in Christ. As Galatians 6 tells us, what is important is a new creation. That's why Ephesians 4.24 says, To believers, put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That in, in, if you're a believer today, you're a new person. You trusted the finished work of Christ. You created in righteousness, holiness of truth. You're a new creation in Christ because you're God's workmanship. And, and you think about the lostness that, outside of Christ that was described in the first three verses of this chapter redeemed we are his new creation in christ we're the product of god's act of new creation in christ god's work created in christ for god's purpose calvin put it this way we must expect no grace no love from god except through Christ's mediation we're talking about sovereign salvation here new creations we are a new creation in christ and you'll notice it says we were created in christ jesus this is not generic this is very specific. You rejoice in it, don't you? Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. He is our only hope, the only way to be saved. Salvation in no one else. You were dead in Adam. Now you're alive in Christ. Rejoice, believer. God saved us. We are his new creation. And the third, the third grouping of words here, for good works. This is for his sovereign purpose. He, he intends believers to serve him in Christ, to, to serve his purposes in this generation. It says, for God's work created for good works. And you, and you see the wordplay here. The wordplay, believers are God's work created for good works. The new creatures actively do what God designed and recreated them to do. This is, you know, salvation's gracious Nature it implies that you do good. It's like, you know, you know, when the animals are born and, you know, uh, they just drop to the ground and then they get on their feet. That's what you do. You just, it's like what Paul did when he got saved. Just start preaching gospel. Start preaching Jesus. The new, the new creation just starts actively doing what God designed and recreated them to do. That, and and that what, a, what, a, what a sweet contrast when you, when you see it from this side. Wow, what I once was. And now, who I, who I now am, I don't walk in sin anymore. I, I sin now, and I repent of it, and I confess it. But I walk now in righteousness. I walk in good works. I, I walk in the good works that God intends for me. God rescued me from depraved despair, recreated me, set me on a new path. All my work, as, as Stephen Charnock put it, all my works before that, before repentance, were dead works. There was no beauty in them. No, no matter how 
beautiful they looked. But now your life can be offered to God in good works worship. Whole life. The good work of, of worshiping Jesus. Not, not to earn anything, but to praise the glories of his grace. I hope you, I hope you relish this. That James tells us oh, the faith without works is dead. You, you know, you weren't saved by faith plus works. That's not the truth. That's a lie. You were you're saved, though, by faith that works. <laughs> Living, active, energetic faith. God gave you the, the faith to believe, and now it's in action. It's working. It's, the, the, the reformers used to say this, the faith alone justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. You were saved for good works. You were saved to serve God's purposes. You were saved to, to do his will. You were saved to serve him. And you might say, well, like what? what is a good, what's the good work? Glad you asked because chapters 4, 5, and 6 just outlined. This, uh, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are just filled, filled to the brim with good works to embrace and evil deeds to reject. And it's right there. And, and last week we looked just briefly in chapter 5, but if you just start with me, just look, do a little review with me, and, and we'll look even ahead. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul says, A prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility. Like, God makes you humble as a Christian, not prideful. God makes you gentle and patient. You bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You go on and, and you get to, to uh, verse 20 in chapter 4, and it's as, as you have learned Christ, you're a disciple of Jesus, you're learning Christ, and we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self. That you're, you're dealing with that Romans 7 struggle, and, and you confess your sins and repent of them, but you're, you're saying, you know, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? Well, praise be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You get on into verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By, by sinning grievously. You know, we ought to bear the resemblance of our Heavenly Father. You see the Father and the Son and the Spirit in Ephesians. You, you see in, in, in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. It, it, it shows sonship. In, in verse 14, awake and Christ will shine on me, you. Uh, in verse 21, submit to one another out of fear of Christ. You get into, in, into verse 22, husbands and wives, do what you do as to the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Sacrifice like Christ did. You get into chapter 6, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Verse 17. Take up the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And, and then the last verse of Ephesians. Grace be to all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible, a love eternal. And it's all because of God's good work in you that then prompts the good works that he, by his sovereign purpose, to bring about his glory, not attention to your efforts, brings about. That you want to serve his purpose in this moment. That God saved us. We are his new creation for his sovereign purpose. 
And it says, the next phrase, number four, which God prepared beforehand. It's by his sovereign initiative. Planned. He planned the good works, believers do. Notice it says, which God prepared beforehand. Before the world began, before we knew, before we ever had a thought, before we had to have a motive to do good, good works are not accidental and they're not optional. It's the outcome of election to holiness and blamelessness, as you saw in chapter 1, verse 4. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, and the purpose is the good works that God prepared beforehand. He did it. Now, a lot of people will say, well, I'm doing good. I'm doing good works. And, and you, you know, self-proclaim the good works. And everybody around you is going, no, you're not. You know, it's like a family meeting. And everyone in the family is telling you, you know, you're not doing good works. Oh, yes, I am. No, you're not. Or you get called in the principal's office. And everybody's like, you know, you can't, you don't claim the good works. You don't say, that's a good work. Let somebody else, you know, let another praise you and not your, not your own lips. It, it's, it's what God deems good. In fact, good works here, if you go, what are good works? Well, they, they, they signify morally good works. Good works that are morally good. Good for you, good for others, glory to God. What it's telling us here is that God prepared the works before the believer was created in Christ. It was part of his plan from eternity past. That God not only chose his own before the foundation of the world to be holy and, and without blame, but he also prepared beforehand good works for us. I mean, how good is God? You know, he's setting it up for us. He's marking it out for us. But, but think about it. If you're a Christian today, before you, before you came to faith in Christ, you existed in the sphere of bad works. You were an object of God's wrath. But when Jesus saved you, you, know, you weren't left in some vortex of you know, inactivity. No, you're a new creation, like poised, like, like runners at a starting line for good works. Like ready. I'm ready to do it. And this is why I think in Philippians 1.6, Paul put it this way. God started a good work in you. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. The, the, that good work of, of salvation that he's going to bring forth the fruit of his works in keeping with salvation. And what's going to happen, what will mirror it is your life will bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance. It will show it. This is why Philippians 2, it says, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling in verse 12, followed up in the same phrase with, it is God who is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. That, that the believer, the, the new creation the regenerate one, the one that's indwelt by the Spirit of God, is to live out their faith reverently before God in the world, knowing with confidence that God is at work in them to will and do in and through them what he desires, even as they are now desiring and doing what pleases him. It explains your life as a Christian. You know, in his strength, for his glory, that God will give you the strength you need to be ready for every good deed. That God prepared it beforehand. It's a particular providence. It's, it's a definite marked out plan. It wasn't accidental. You know, someone recently in my family, this is ripped from the headlines. This happened yesterday. Uh, someone in my family wrapped a box that showed up at the front door 
wrapped it up, took it to a, a wedding shower. They took it to the wedding shower, and um, turns out that the, the someone, the beautiful someone in my family that wrapped that box, didn't check the box first. And so it came time to open up the gifts, and I guess it wasn't towels. It was like name tags for church, like VBS or women's retreat or something like that. And look, it, it, it happens, right? And why am I telling that story? Because I told my family yesterday, oh, this will be in my sermon tomorrow. <laughs> Somehow, it will be in the sermon. So someone in my family wraps a box without checking, and, and, and it's got the wrong stuff in it. But, but, you know, God prepared the works beforehand. It's not as if God bought you a gift, couldn't remember what was in the box, and, and, or what box it was in, and just wrapped something up and said, here, take this one. Turns out it wasn't what he intended. You know, no, it's more like a, a well-trained athlete. You know what to do. You're equipped to do it. You go do it. If you would be a faithful servant of Jesus, doing those good works that he prepared beforehand, you, you'll be equipped to know what you believe, and, and you know what you believe and, and why you believe it, and then you lovingly engage people with that truth and do those good works. It's, it's, and, and by the way, the works that come out, by his sovereign initiative, this is God preparing beforehand. He, he foreordained the good works Every one of them specifically. Now, here's the thing. Don't go around like not being able to take a step because you don't know what the good work is. No, remember this. God's at work in you to will and do his good pleasure, but you are also wanting and doing his good pleasure. I tell people all the time, look, if it's not illegal and it's not immoral and it's not, you know, uh, prohibited from in Scripture, love Jesus and do whatever you want because you're going to be doing what God wants. And, and what you'll notice is when you start getting traction in the good works, you're like, wow, it, it works. And you don't start going, hey, everybody, I'm going to post this up because I'm so amazing. No, what you do is you, you give praise to God who, get, who planned the good works for you to do. He saved us. We're his new creation for his sovereign purpose by his sovereign initiative. He, he planned the works for believers to do. And, and fifth, and this is the last part of the verse. Look at, look at it. This is where we come in. So everything's God up to this. Everything's God up to this in this verse. And then it says this, so that we would walk in them. You see that? So that we would walk in them, we obediently respond to him. He inspires the believer's dependent obedience. Like, what is the purpose of the good work that God prepared for in advance? What is it? So that you would walk in them. And what it means is live in them. Now walk, run, hop, skip, jump, whatever you're doing. Just go in, a, in the direction of, of serving Jesus. You're created in Christ Jesus for the goal of good works in order that you would live in them. This, this is your life. You say any way you want. I want to do good works. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be obedient to Jesus. I'm going to, uh, you know serve his purposes in my generation, whatever, however, all the different ways the Bible explains it. So we would walk in them. That the pattern of your life would be such that you would be exemplified by, by good works, works that are morally good, that people would look at your life and you're professing faith in Christ and they'd say, God's at work in that person's life. God's using that person for others' good and for his glory. And, and you, what's, well, what's interesting is when it says that, they, that we should walk in them, it's literally phrased as we should start walking in them. 
Like, go. Get up and go. Keep living. You formerly were in transgressions and sins, and now you, you're walking in newness of life. You're a new creation, doing the good works that God set up long ago. Wow. Is God not amazing? Quite the contrast from your old life. As, as unbelievers, we were dead in trespasses and sins. As, as believers, we're alive to God and doing good works. Can't make this stuff up. And, and if no good works are evident, it may indicate no life. Because what God purposes in the life of a believer will always be accomplished. See, works are not the means of salvation, only faith is, but works evidence salvation. I mean, how many times can we use the example of a fruit tree, right? As long as it takes. Now, your fruit tree, like evidence of specific life. You know, last year we, we planted some fruit trees in the yard, and we had a number of fruit trees there. And, and at one point in the year, when the green leaves started coming on two of these trees, I got confused between which one's the plum and which one's the nectarine. Literally, I mean, I knew what the apple tree was. I know what the guava is and the lime and the lemon, but I really seriously was confused. I didn't know if that was the plum tree or if that was the plum tree or, or was it the nectarine. But as soon as the fruit appeared, I figured it out. The fruit is the proof. It's our, and, and by the way, our obedient response is, is fruitful, that we should walk in them. It's, it's obedient action. It's dependent action. It's, it's eagerly following, by the way, not just the new direction God sent for, set for you, but the new life he gave to you. Like, I like this new life. I'm doing what I was remade to do. This is God's work, and I love it. I'm struggling in life and, in life and sometimes, but I love this life that God gave me in Christ. I've got new desires. I've, I, I love what I once hated. I hate what I once loved. My life is now characterized by serving Jesus in this world. You know, the good works you do, it's imitation of the good God you serve. Our good works reflect his goodness, reflect his good work. I mean, God saves us. He saves sinners solely by himself. We, we are his new creation. It makes believers his new creation in Christ. We, it's for his sovereign purpose. He intends for us to serve him in Christ. It's by his sovereign initiative. Plan the good works believers do. And we beautifully and obediently respond to him. He inspires the believer's obedient dependence, really. Now, I would say that's a strong skeletal structure there with which to launch out in good works. But why don't we put some meat on the bones here? Let's give some application. Like, what do you actually desire and do? Like, like you're saved, okay. If you're saved, if you're trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, in your place, your substitute that shed his blood in your place, took the punishment you deserved, died the death you deserved to die, and, and he was buried and he rose from the dead and he's coming back with blessing for those who believe and judgment for those who do not, and you believe Jesus and you've trusted your soul to him, then, then what do you actually desire and do? What, what is it? With the Christ-honoring good works. But the person who knows the heart of Ephesians 2.10 actually desires and does. I'll give you some generalities. I'll give you some specifics. But I'll, I'll say this one first. This is, a, this is a statement. 
You desire and do. If you're a believer, you're a new creation in Christ, you desire and do God's pleasure. Of course you do. You, you, you want to please God. You no longer want to live for yourself, but for him who died and rose again on your behalf. And, and when you want to do God's pleasure, you resolve something. So you resolve to live a humble and holy and bold life in Christ's strength. You decide to glorify God and enjoy him forever, that you delight yourself in the Lord as he gives you the desires of your heart, that you desire what is pleasing to him, and that what you realize when you say that kind of thing, whether it's in your heart or out loud, and if you're giving testimony of faith in Christ, you're going to say it out loud? Jesus changed my life, and I want to please him now, all through my life? Then you realize that, that humility must reign and pride must be removed from your heart, and that God is going to take you through a painful process for that to take place. And that you, you even, as that's happening, make the courageous decision to reject pride and live humbly and boldly for Christ. That you realize that you were once dead in sin and now you're dead to sin and while you still sin you're not to allow it to have dominion over you you died to the dominion of sin and satan that you were slaves of sin now you're a slave of righteousness you've been freed you've been set free jesus said if if you if you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free in revelation 22 it, it says this let the wicked still act wickedly let the filthy still be filthy. The righteous must still do right and the holy still be holy. When you come to faith in Christ, you want to be humble, you want to be holy. You, you, you say, well, it's, it's settled. I'm going to strive for holiness. The holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The sanctification, this, the grace frees me and, and forgives me and, and grants me a desire for holiness. That, that my living faith produces good desires and deeds. I mean, Jerry Bridges put it this way, the only safe evidence of being saved is holiness. You have the Holy Spirit, live a holy life. Not in your own strength. And again, we define things all sorts of ways, but God defines it a certain way. And Jonathan Edwards had those 70 resolutions that he wrote in 1722 and 1723 and you know, he said among that, he said, resolved that I do whatever I think to be most to God's glory. Resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolved to do this whatever difficulties I meet with. Resolved to live with all my might while I do live. So you want to live a humble life in Christ, but secondly, you know something about yourself you know that you are a fragrant aroma of Christ, that God uses you and, and manifests the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere you go, that you, know, you, can, you can smell a sewer and you can smell manure and you know sweetness when you smell it and you know the aroma of life versus the stench of death. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. We're talking the sweet-smelling victory of Christ over all evil powers. That we are, it says, an aroma of Christ 
to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. You know, he says, who, who's sufficient for these things? Now, you know. You, you'll know by who stays away from you and who wants to be around you. And vice versa. Well, water finds its level. Your friends will reflect your faith. Paul said it this way. We are not like many peddlers of God's word. We're not, we're not manipulating the word of God. We're not manipulating uh, uh, emotions. We're not you know, mangling the word of God. It says, as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. fragrant aroma of Christ. Thirdly, you're a humble blessing. You're, you're, gonna be, you're gonna wanna be a humble blessing. But everywhere you go, you're gonna say, how can I humbly bless people? Like, I'm gonna be somewhere today. I'm gonna be at church today. Who can I bless, Lord? You know, good works. Some of your good works will be secret. Some will be seen. But if you're a humble blessing, you never keep track of your good works. You leave them be. You don't post them up. You, you, know, you let, let God be the judge of that. But if you're asked, don't keep track of your good works. Leave them be. And if asked, say, I'm an unworthy servant. I just did what I was asked. Like, be a non-scorekeeping instrument of righteousness for his name's sake. Humble and bold, servant of Jesus. Last month, Pastor Tim Keller from New York uh, died. He was battling cancer for several years and hadn't really followed him much over the past several years for one reason or another. And, uh, but I... I, I came across after he died the last recorded words that he put on a video. And he was quoting Jeremiah 45, verse 5. Do not seek great things for yourself. And he said, are you seeking great things for yourself? Do not seek them. And then the shot went dark. Like what you need to do is squeeze every ounce of goodness out of life through your good works as you deny yourself and be a blessing. To be a blessing, you have to deny yourself. Fourth, I would say, if you're going to desire and do good works, you're going to be a gospel worker doing good in a local church led by godly elders. And by the way, I'm not self-professing myself godly. I'm saying all the other elders we have, they're godly men. And you need to be a gospel worker doing good in a local church led by godly elders. Join and stay. Be, be a good doer. Don't be an evil doer. Don't be a busybody. You need to unite, not be divisive. And by the way, the list of good works that you can do is as long as your God-given creativity will allow. You certainly must decide. You certainly must decide to live the new life God has granted to you and then just do the next good thing. The next good thing. It might be repentance. It might be accompanied by an appropriate apology. It might be forgiveness with an appropriate reunion. It might be encouragement. It might be appropriate words and blessing, appropriate action, maybe instructing or helping or praying. Do a speed dial encouragement. Help someone move. Bring them a meal. Forbear an offense. Maybe you, there's a new avenue of good that you hadn't formally considered. Maybe you write a note. Maybe you build up with a texted good word. Just remember this. In the church, Grace Church, here's the deal. We should be like an orchestra. We shouldn't be like a solo act where everyone looks and sees what all the other good works everyone's doing or lift one person up because of that good work. No, we're like an orchestra. You don't hear every instrument. You're not supposed to hear that trumpet. It's just supposed to go all together. You, you don't hear every instrument, but it is a great 
aggregate, combined, joyful noise. And, and our good works that, that God in, inspires through this body is to permeate out and bless this community. Even to the ends of the earth, bless this, this community of faith and bless the community in which we live. I'll give you one more idea. Number five, you desire to be and you are a fruitful witness, sacrificially serving Jesus. That you know is better to obey than to sacrifice. But obedience demands sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You go and do every good thing you can as a gospel witness. If you wonder how bad things have gotten and how reprobate and depraved and insane things are, we now have people making laws that are to protect the people perpetrating reprobation. We see, and this has happened in every culture, anti-God insanity and depravity. And here's what you need to know, believer. God will not sit back and not judge. The judge is standing at the door. And what we need to do is love all people, warn all people, knowing that God will judge justly. That our good works that God prepared beforehand must include preaching the gospel. In your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, on, in, on your team, in school, in your club, anywhere God places you. We must preach the gospel and snatch people from the fires of hell and speak gospel words, even Jeremiah-like, to people who won't listen. That do everything you can, that if they must perish, let it be knowing you left it all on the court. That when you see the, the total insanity of the totally depraved, don't recoil in horror. Such were some of you but respond in love. React with, with calm intensity for Jesus, for the gospel, with compassion. Hold out to them the word of life. Like, like be a water station helper during a long distance race. Or like be a rescue worker. There is a way that seems right to a man that's the way that ends in death. Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to tell someone that they're about to go over a cliff. Tell them the truth. Clearly. Honestly. Intensely. You know, those who believe most strongly in the doctrines of sovereign grace, of election and predestination, live this way. Remember the words of, of Spurgeon. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not anyone go unwarned or unprayed for. The God's workmanship in Christ should be doing Christ-honoring, biblically faithful, disciple-making, Ministry equipping, world reaching good works in a world where people are doing evil, in a world where we battle evil in our own hearts. But God's glorious grace drives our good works, my friends. That God saves us, 
We're his new creation for his sovereign purpose by his sovereign initiative. And, and what, we, what, what do we do? We just obediently respond. We desire by God's, to do God's pleasure and resolve to live a humble life boldly in Christ's strength and a fragrant aroma of Christ and a humble blessing and a, a gospel worker doing good in a local church, a fruitful witness sacrificially serving Jesus. You know, specifically, specifically, you need to go live this. You know, take all your resolve and go live that. In real time, in Christ's strength, for his glory, under his word, uh, in navigating the, your life, battling your sin, but pursuing righteousness and seeing Christ as your all, seeing Christ as your life, your everything. Like, push through your heart telling you that you're not good enough or that you're too good. And the world telling you that you're not doing good. Like, stand up, put on the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shoes of the gospel, take up the sword of the Spirit, pray at all times, and do what you were made for. John Newton, author of Amazing Grace, said, I am not what I ought to be. How imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. My heart wants evil when I would cleave to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon I shall put off mortality and all sin and imperfection. Yet though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, not what I hope to be, I can truly say, I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. And I can join with the apostle. And acknowledge, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. Your grace lavished upon us in Christ. Lord, open hearts to the gospel and may our hearts be intent on doing good works for your glory and your strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come now to the table of the Lord that reflects to us, that literally shouts at the top of the lungs to us, Jesus Christ is Lord and His finished work has been accomplished and we remember, we do what what Jesus instructed us to do on an ongoing basis. We, We remember his broken body and shed blood at this table. This is what we do. Paul even said, I was was given this. Christ Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. And after supper he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And that if anyone partakes of the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner would be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. What's that mean? It means that if you're not a believer, this table is not for you. That if you're not a believer, you should not be partaking as if you were. But that if you are a believer, partaking in an unworthy manner would be not in accordance with its worth. An unbeliever would just trample on it. 
But if you're a believer and you say, well, I've sinned too much, I can't take the table. Oh no, you run to the table. You, you confess your sins, repent of them, turn to Christ once again. And, and remember what he did. We're remembering Jesus' finished work such that would give us hope. Jesus took the sin that we had committed took the sin that caused our death, took the sin under which we were under the wrath of God and took all the punishment upon himself. He shed his blood as our substitute. He paid the penalty for our sins and the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And if you have eternal life, if you're trusting in Jesus, you, you take the bread and the cup with us. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we, we do this believing that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. We are even proclaiming our desire to serve you until you call us home or Christ comes again, whichever comes first. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen your church for your service. And we say, come Lord Jesus with all our hearts. Amen. 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 Would you stand as we close singing the chorus and bridge of Taste and See one more time. Full of 
So as we are about to leave, let's do a couple announcements and then we'll have a prayer and benediction. Wednesday night, we have a a big night. It's a missions night with Luke Womack, and I have heard this presentation. It is life-altering. You don't want to miss it. We're having dinner at 6. Service starts at 6.45 right here. Uh, Also, Grace Orange Academy starting in the fall. Online registration is open. There's an info night June 28th. And lots of summer activities, so check those out online or on the QR code. Um, And I'm going to have a a longtime friend of mine uh, who's here right now come up and pray for us and uh, and give us a bit of a greeting right now. Uh, A longtime friend, I've known him for over 30 years, uh, Josh Kirstein. He's a pastor of Disciples Church in Bakersfield, and he spoke at our men's retreat a number of years ago. I'm preaching to his church for him in August since he's on sabbatical right now. He's here with two of his sons and a buddy, Michael, and two of his sons, so... Uh, come up and uh, close us in prayer and say, say hello. It is a true blessing to be here with you, to worship with you. Uh, the saints at Disciples Church in Bakersfield know that we're here to bring you greetings and love and grace and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a joy to get to do this with one another, just as we see the apostles do in the New Testament, sending greetings to one another and We pray for you often, and it's a joy to worship with you today. I'm deeply encouraged by Pastor Mike and his encouragement to me weekly, regularly, our gospel partnership in the Lord, um, and uh, blessed to have him come preach for our congregation uh, in in August and in my resting this summer. Um, Our church is the first Baptist church in Bakersfield. We're in our 135th year of gospel ministry in that part of Central California, and uh, we've had a wonderful opportunity to reform that church through and through over the last 15 years and see God do amazing things. And uh, so it's just a joy to continue to walk with you, brothers and sisters here at Grace Orange, and to get to worship with you this morning. I'm honored to lead us in closing prayer this morning and to read benediction from God's word. Will you pray with me, church? Father, we thank you for this day that you have made What a joy it is by your sovereign decree to wake, to live another day for your glory, to gather with the saints, to corporately worship you, to adore you in song, uh, to testify of Christ the Son's work in his sacrifice on the cross through the Lord's Supper, um, to fellowship, to pray for one another, to to practice the one another's, to hear the faithful preaching of God's word, that it would equip us, equip us for the good works that you've prepared beforehand for us. What an honor it is to be the recipients of your amazing grace, that we would not take lightly the assignment of this day, for you have not promised us tomorrow. So Lord, help us to be faithful with today, to make the most of these moments and hours to come, 
that if it's our last, Lord, we would serve you well this day. Um, we would um, love others well to give them the full gospel in a way that would point them to the truth. Lord, we pray for those who are gathering around the world this day, Lord, they would be faithful to you. We pray for those who you will save this day, who you ordained before time to save. We rejoice in them joining our eternal family, our blood-bought family. Lord, what a joy it is to be here together. I pray for the heads of the households. They would be faithful in your word, in truth, in love. For the wives and the children, Lord, I pray for those who are unbelieving still among this congregation that it be your good purpose and plan to give them saving faith. Rejoice and their salvation. Lord, let us be faithful with all these things for your glory and for others' eternal good. We look forward to what you have in store for us this week. So will it. We love you, Lord. We pray confidently in Jesus' name. Amen. And now a reading of benediction from Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. By the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go with the Lord. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me in the calm, with me in the